Anybody who knows their Bibles might be a little worried as they're reading the screen and seeing that my sermon text is John 14, 15, 16, and 17. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. Nobody's got dinner in the oven, right? <clears throat> Friends, um, I have such, such good news for you, us this morning. And... Um, at first, it may seem a little bit puzzling to you because I'm not going to be preaching from a birth narrative, meaning one of the gospel stories about Jesus' birth, and yet this is a Christmas sermon. So um, bear with me, and we will get to Jesus' birth, but where I'm going to start uh, and preach from is some assorted verses from the Gospel of John on the night before Jesus was crucified. When he spoke to his disciples, his last address in the Gospel of John, he said a lot to them. And I've just gathered a few verses together, and there's an insert in the worship folder that's got the verses I'll be reading from. So um, for those of you who are visiting with us this morning, this is kind of a sideways step. We've just preached our way through the entire Gospel of Luke, and we finished last week. We've got three verses left, actually, but we just about finished last week with Jesus, uh, the resurrected Jesus alive, not dead, meeting his disciples, and they're full of joy, and he says to them, you are going to be my witnesses. You're going to go out and tell everybody on earth that there's a new Lord, there's a new king who's overcome death and the grave, and that there's forgiveness of sins and repentance through him. And you're going to bear this good news out all over the earth, but don't go yet. Go to Jerusalem and wait for the gift that my father's given you. And he's talking about the empowering or the enabling work of the Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit's going to come on you and he's going to empower you. But before that happens, this happens. This happens in John. John, I'm going to read through in the order that they're in the worship folder here. John records in John 20, 22. It's the same scene. John's describing the exact same scene. Some of the, anybody need a worship folder? Tim's holding them up at the back. Need a couple, one right here, one right there. So if you compare John and Luke's descriptions, one up here, Tim, up front. John and Luke are actually describing the same scene of Jesus uh, meeting his, resurrected Jesus meeting his disciples for the, for the first time all together. And John, in, as a part of that, says this. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The night before his death, he had said these words to them, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. You know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you'll realize I'm in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give To you as the world gives, do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. 
As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And then in a prayer in John 17, Jesus prays to the Father and he says, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. And then Colossians 1.27, Paul's writing to the Christians in the city of Coloss, and he says, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is all God's good word. Yesterday morning at the breakfast table, the kids and Ann and I were talking about when they were littler. seems funny to say that already, when they were littler, but we were talking about times when we would go away, and uh, maybe it would be an evening, we'd go somewhere and we'd hire a babysitter, and if we told them that was coming, days ahead of time, no, please don't go, you know, and... Um, and actually, the one who struggled with it the most is in the nursery right now because she doesn't want to be separate from Anne, you know. And so there would be this attempting to convince us not to go, and she would say, I'm coming with you. I'm coming with you. And the partings, they would just be horrible. You know, sometimes holding onto the pant leg and um, separation anxiety, we call it, right? And actually, it's a good thing. It's a normal thing for children not to want to be separate from their parents because as parents we provide just this beautiful covering of love and of protection, of care, and safety. And so children don't want to be, they naturally don't want to be apart from us. But you know what? Children aren't the only ones who go through separation anxiety. We, we adults go through that too, you know. And I, I think there's a, if you just think about the, the many different places in our day-to-day lives where we wrestle with fear or anxiety and the things that cause that. So maybe it's, maybe it's looking ahead to uh, something that's coming and we're nervous about it. Maybe it is um, dealing with loneliness Maybe it's worry about joblessness. For some of us, it's fears about childlessness. Some of us, we've got a mountain of work or to-do, just an endless to-do list uh, we've got that, that, that is intimidating. We've got um, troubled relationships that we're dealing with. Some of us are afraid of growing old. We've, we've got just a, a lot of things that one way or another cause fear. What if my job gets taken away? What if they don't need me anymore? What if? Just a lot of what ifs. Fear and anxiety. And when we're in places where we're afraid or we're anxious, you know, we're really not able to hear the Lord through. It's like fear and anxiety are static, and we can't hear the comfort that the Lord would bring 
uh, as he would speak to us. And I want to submit to you that that's where the disciples were on this night before Jesus' death, that they were experiencing separation anxiety, that Jesus was telling them, I'm going away. I'm leaving. And he said, it's for your benefit that I'm leaving. But they couldn't hear that. I'm going away. And all they could feel was, we don't want you to leave. We don't want to be apart from you. We love you. We, you know, he, the, the Bible says Jesus is the exact radiance of God. What you see in Jesus is God the Father. And so these disciples who had traveled with Jesus for three years now, they have seen love incarnate. They have seen love that drives out fear, love that drives out darkness, love that invites in anyone who's willing to come follow. They have lived with love and felt secure and nurtured and safe under the covering of Jesus, and they don't want him to leave. And so they can't hear him. Jesus is preaching a, this is the most, some people would say, if you've got to go anywhere on a desert island and you need one piece of scripture to go with you, you know, what would it be? A lot of people would take John 14 to 17. There is so much comfort in there. If you could memorize that, you'd be full. But they can't hear it because Jesus is leaving and they're anxious. And so Jesus is left and Jesus is gone and Jesus is risen. And here's Jesus right in front of them. And here's Jesus back with them. They're not separate anymore. They're in the room and he is saying to them, peace, peace. You know, they lacked peace before. They don't want to be separate. They lack peace. But now he's saying, peace. And then he says, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And if we go too fast over these words, we will miss something that is so, so beautiful. And I want to enter that beautiful by telling a story. It's a story that I heard recently. It's true. And I'm going to read it to you. Young husband has a crippling terminal neurological disease. His wife is carrying a baby, their first, which this unfortunate young man may never live to see. And so he writes a letter to his unborn child to say something very important that's on his heart. This is what he writes. Your mother is very special. Few men know what it's like to receive appreciation for taking their wives out to dinner when it entails what it does for us. It means that she has to dress me, shave me, brush my teeth, comb my hair, wheel me out of the house and down the steps, open the garage, put me in the car, take the pedals off the chair, stand me up, sit me in the seat of the car, twist me around so that I'm comfortable, fold the wheelchair, put it in the car, go around to the other side of the car, start it up, back it out, get out of the car, pull the garage door down, get back into the car, drive off to the restaurant, and then it starts all over again. She gets out of the car, unfolds the wheelchair, opens the door, spins me around, stands me up, seats me in the wheelchair, pushes the pedals out, closes and locks the door, wheels me into the restaurant, then takes the pedals off the wheelchair so I won't be uncomfortable. 
We sit down to have dinner, and she feeds me throughout the entire meal. And when it's over, she pays the bill, pushes the wheelchair out to the car again, and repeats the same routine. And when this is all over, with real warmth, she'll say to me, Honey, thank you for taking me out to dinner. Self-giving love is the most beautiful, beautiful love that there is. It's why all of the best romance scenes in the movies that people love have nothing to do with a passionate kiss between a man and a woman and everything to do with what leads up to coming together and giving themselves to each other. And so I don't know if some of you are old enough to remember this, but 20 years ago there was a movie called The Titanic. And I remember the scene from The Titanic where um, the boat is about to go down and Rose has gotten off the ship and she's in the lifeboat. I think it's the last lifeboat, but I'm not, I don't remember clearly. And she's being lowered. And the, for 10 long seconds, Jack is up on the deck looking down at Rose and Rose is looking up at Jack and the music is playing and this separation is beginning to happen and it's happening and it's getting bigger and it's getting bigger and then whoosh, all of a sudden she jumps off the lifeboat into the, back into the ship on the deck below and Jack starts running, Rose, Rose, what are you doing? What are you doing, Rose? And he runs off to go find her and she runs to find him and as they meet each other and embrace each other, he's yelling at her. He's so angry that she's given up her life, he thinks, to get back on the ship that's sinking and, and then all of a sudden his anger melts and it dissolves because he's overcome by her love. He's overcome that, that she wants more than being alive and having a chance at life in a lifeboat. She wants to be with him. She's giving herself to be with him. Self-giving love. And friends, I want to submit to you this morning that what we're looking at in the Gospel of John, brief as though it is one sentence, is a love scene. Jesus is giving himself to his disciples. He's giving himself. Do you remember the last time where we heard the words, he breathed? Remember this? On the cross, he breathed out his spirit. We talked about spirit, soul, and body. Spirit is us. The deepest part, we're all spirit beings. And we said, Jesus was giving himself to the Father. It said he committed his spirit to the Father. He gave himself. Right here, he is breathing out himself. First Corinthians says, the Lord is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is Jesus' Spirit. It's the Spirit of the Father and of Jesus. And so Jesus is imparting, as he breathes on them, He's imparting his own self, his life. He's uniting himself to them. He is joyfully, freely saying, here I am, take me. Here I am, here I am. And it's the culmination. It's not just one love scene. It's the culmination of a 2,000 plus year love story. Wherever since the garden when we were separated from the presence of God, 
God has been working to bring us back together. God has longed for us to be one with Him. He's longed to be one. To be intimate with His children. And He has gone to work on that long, long, long road of suffering and of redemption that finally culminated in Jesus giving Himself for us on that cross. But here's Jesus risen. And now He's not giving Himself for. Now He's giving Himself to. Given Himself to. He gave Himself for us. Now He's giving Himself to each one. He breathes on them and He says, Receive me. Receive me. Receive the Holy Spirit. I'm joining myself to you. I cannot, I will not be taken away from you. You know what strikes me about this? These are the disciples that abandon him. Neither Luke nor John has even said if they said sorry yet. These are the disciples who were afraid and ran away. These are not perfect people. These are very imperfect people like you and I. These are hurting people. These are people who fear. These are people who've got a long way to go in becoming like Jesus. And yet he says that doesn't stop him doesn't stop him from saying, receive me. I'm giving myself to you. I want to be with you. And I want to submit to you this morning that Jesus giving his spirit is no pragmatic thing. It's, it's not something he's doing because he has to. It's not something he's doing because he needs to for some other purpose. It's something he's doing because he wants to. For the same reason that Rose jumped off the lifeboat and back into the ship. I want to be with you, Jack. We jumped together, right? She said. Jesus says, I want to be with you. This is the voice of God the Father saying, I want to be with you. I want to be with you and in you. That's a with you and an in you that can never be taken away. I want to be with you. The Bible says in 1 John, to all who believe on the name of Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God, children, because his very own spirit has joined himself to our spirit fully, personally, and eternally. God's come to live in me. God's come to live in you. And so we don't have to experience separation anxiety at all anymore. You know, when um, someone that we love dies, I often hear people say, well, they're still with me in spirit. Actually, they're not. What, what we mean to say is that when we think about them and we call up memories of them and we kindle those memories, we feel close or we feel like we remember or whatever. But they are not with us in spirit. They are departed. 
And that's why death hurts. That's why the Bible says it stings. We're separated. But we are not separated any longer. We are one with Jesus. He's here. He's here. Fully. In me. Forever. Nothing can separate me from His love and His presence. And yet, we've talked about in the last few weeks, on Monday morning, do I live, do I live like a son and a daughter of God, fully aware of the loving presence of my Father? There's a poem that many of you have heard called Footprints. I want to read it to us right now. It's called Footprints in the Sand, and it says, One night I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. Many scenes from my life flashed across the sky. In each scene, I noticed footprints in the sand. Sometimes there were two sets of footprints. Other times there was one set of footprints. This bothered me because I noticed that during the low periods in my life when I was suffering from anguish, sorrow, or defeat, I could only see one set of footprints. So I said to the Lord, You promised me, Lord, that if I followed you, you'd be with me always. But I've noticed that during the most trying periods of my life, there have only been one set of footprints in the sand. Why, when I needed you most, have you not been there for me? The Lord replied, The times when you've seen only one set of footprints in the sand are the times when I carried you. You know, I praise God that that poem ministers to so many people um, when they hear that the Lord has carried us. But I think that a part of the reason that poem speaks so loudly is because it taps into our feelings of fear and of abandonment and of confusion and of separation. And what the Lord wants us to hear afresh this morning is that he was born into the world so that he could be born into our hearts so that we would never be separate. And um, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you're in Jesus and Jesus is in you. It's that simple. And so the Lord comes to us this morning and I believe that he just wants to kindle in our hearts to stir up the assurance, the assurance of his constant, loving, faithful presence with us. That he came that we could be one with him and with the Father. That nothing would separate us. And so as we look on that manger, and we know that manger to be our hearts, let's Praise, let's worship the Lord that there is no more separation anxiety, that we are one with him. And if you are sitting here this morning and you're saying, I don't know if I have the Holy Spirit, come talk to me. Come talk to the prayer partners after the service. If you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, this sounds really encouraging and I'm encouraged here in church, but 
I don't feel like this. I don't feel God's presence, his nearness. When I struggle, when I go through A, B, C, or D, when I'm in such and such situation, then what you're hearing this morning is an invitation from the Lord Jesus to be present to him as he is to you and to get to know the ever-present one at a more deep level. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you so freely, lovingly give your spirit to us. We thank you that you have joined yourself to us at the level of our hearts, that we have union with you, and we pray that you would help each one of us to live out of that union, that unity that we have with you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you don't detest our fears, our anxieties, but that you invite us to bring them to you because you're present to us. And we pray that you will raise us up as a congregation, uh, that we will be men, women, and children who embody in our lives what it looks like to be a son and a daughter of God. And that those words for us won't be just a profession of something we believe to be true, but they will be lived experience that we know with all of our hearts. Nothing can separate us from you, and there's nothing that you cannot strengthen and empower us to live through in this world, difficult and painful as though it may be. And so, Jesus, again, we praise you for the hope that we have in you, and we sing your praises now. Amen.